The title for this evening's talk is I Am of the Earth. I'd like to start by relating three very briefly, three stories that they are on that title. The first one is a story from the Talmud. And just read the sections here. Once two farmers were fighting over a piece of land. They decided, eventually they decided to take their case before the town rabbi. The rabbi took the two farmers to the field they were arguing over. As they stood there watching, he slowly bent down and put his ear to the ground. He stayed there for some moments in silence. Then he stood up and looked again at the two farmers and said, My friends, I've been listening to the land and the land has spoken. The land says it belongs to neither of you, but rather that you belong to the land. One simple tale. Another tale is a, a Greek legend. It's a legend of a giant called Antaeus who lived in Libya, what's now Libya anyway, in the desert. And he was famous, or infamous actually, because he managed to challenge any passerbys Anybody who wandered by his land, he challenged them to fight and he destroyed everyone. So, people in Greece were worried about that and they talked to Hercules. And Hercules, Hercules did a little bit of investigation here, a little bit of research. And he found the secret of Antaeus. Why was he so strong? He derived his strength from the earth, from his direct connection to the earth. So Hercules went by, knowing he was going to be challenged. He got into a fight, and the first thing he did was lifted up Antaeus, and he got it. He defeated him. Antaeus lost his connection. This story is about 3,000 years old. And then the story that many of us probably know is 2,500 years old and comes from India and has to do with the Bodhisattva sitting under the Bodhi tree resolved to get enlightened. And as he was sitting there, he was approached by Kamamara, the god of love and death. And this is a rendering by Joseph Campbell, the well-known episode of the face-to-face encounter between the Buddha, the future Buddha, and Mara. As uh, Mara challenged him in many ways, uh, the future Buddha remained unmoved beneath the tree. 
the god assailed him seeking to break his concentration whirlwind rocks thunder and flame smoking weapons with keen edges burning coals hot ashes boiling mud blistering sands and fourfold darkness the antagonist hurled against the savior but the missiles were all transformed into celestial flow and so into celestial flowers and ointments by the power of gautama's ten perfections mara then deployed his daughters desire pinning and lust surrounded by voluptuous attendants but the mind of the great being was not distracted the god finally challenged his right to be sitting in on the immovable space spot flung his razor sharp discus angrily and bit the towering host of the army to let fly at him with mountain crags at the future buddha only only moved his hand to touch the ground with his fingertips and thus did the goddess earth bear witness to his right to be sitting where he was she did so with a hundred a thousand a hundred thousand rows so that the elephant of the antagonist fell upon its knees in obedience to the future buddha the army was immediately dispersed and the gods of all the world scattered garments so these are three stories that uh, from very different traditions they are witness to how emblematic how symbolic is our connection to the earth and and language uh, Uh, reinforces this when we talk about finding our roots putting our roots cultivating our roots but earth is not just a metaphor in fact it's important to see earth as a rich ecosystem absolutely teeming with microbes all kinds of microorganisms living in every tiny grain of earth that you can find and perhaps this is not such a surprising fact but what may be a surprising fact is that we too are teeming with microbes stuff that i know from when when i was a scientist and it's uh, true absolutely undisputed no fantasy this body here and true every other body as well roughly it contains 10 to the 13 cells and saying 10 to the 13 mean 10 followed by 13 zeros or 10 trillion cells cells of my body of your body oh, in that order if you count the microbes in here 
there's 10 followed by 14 zeros. Uh, um, it is amazing and it's true. There's 10 times, 10 times more microbes in this body than cells that I could call mine. In other words, there's a hundred trillion microbes. What are these microbes doing? Well, many of them are in the digestive tract. But many others are located in, on the skin, for instance, on the tongue, on the inner mucous membranes of the body. In fact, if you study the ecosystem on top of the tongue, you'll find that it's different from the ecosystem underneath the tongue. Different population bugs. Look there. It's an incredibly rich system. So, they're just as much earth in a way, because microbes could be seen as earth. See, that's what mostly populates any bit of earth. As people And uh, it is, they are very essential. In fact, studies done to create germ-free animals show that these animals die very, very quickly. They are very, very fragile. The immune systems, of course, are practically non-existent, but also many functions are just not being performed because they are functions that our allies in here are supposed to perform. So, in a very literal sense, we are part of the Earth. Now, do we, do we really appreciate that? Do we welcome them? Do we honor them? Come on. Haven't you seen the, the commercials on TV with the villains? in the forms of microbes. They are our body mates, really. Roommates, body mates, if you will. But not only do we ridicule them, but we also decimate them in totally unnecessary ways. We keep adding antibacterial agents to most of the products. And the bacteria that we're killing are largely the ones on the surface, in our hands, for instance, and these antibacterial soaps. And, and what we do is we deplete our skin of these bacteria who are protecting us. I don't want to overdo it in this subject, but there's one little story of mine that, that I want to share. Uh, some, some years ago, I had a urinary... No, I didn't even have a urinary infection. But uh, the doctor thought I had a urinary infection. And so he gave me an antibiotic. Very powerful. Very good. A new one that, in fact, going through the kidneys was formed from a precursor so that the antibiotic only worked after it went through the kidney. Result in that lower area of my body, I started getting an enormous amount of yeast. Because all the bacteria that were living on that skin and protecting it against skin, against yeast, 
which is part of her job, was eliminated. That's very simple, and yet, so we treat ourselves like swimming pools rather than ecosystems, really. And I had delivering that. It's just an example of the way we disconnect. Disconnect from, from literally from the microbes, symbolically from the earth. And of course we have all these other ways of disconnecting. One of them, very obvious, is spending hour after hour in front of the TV or, or the, in, at the internet. And then, for many, including my grandchildren, that becomes a way of life. My lovely grandchildren, in spite of all this, doing very well. A little bit from TV Guide. It's about the story of fathers and sons. Who says men don't cry? This Father's Day is sweet, wheat fest, that's Father's Day last year. Wheat fest takes dozens of them through the passages of having a son or a guest. It's more montage and reportage, but the glimpses of dads grieving, teasing, and throwing softballs are as incendiary as the emotions of those cotton commercials about the fabric of our lives. Actually, TV, TV is the fabric of our life, absorbing our pain and then replaying it in excruciating detail. Yeah, in a way, it is. It is. I mean, it's, it's, it becomes one. And as we disconnect in all these areas, Sometimes, in fact, we find ourselves disconnecting in the midst of practice. That is an experience that is familiar to, certainly to myself, and I'm sure to many of you. See, the practice is offered as an opportunity to connect with the body. Sorry, as an opportunity to connect through the body. To use the body as a bridge to connect to, to the rest of life and to the life teeming inside us in some way. And, and that's very much uh, what, what the Buddha has been advocating for us in his teachings, to use the body as, as, as a bridge, as a connector with life. But in fact, very often, when we sit, we find ourselves resisting enormously the opening up to our feet. What comes up immediately, very soon, is the picking out from experience what I like, what I don't like, or what is, I don't care, because I neither like or dislike. So I don't waste any time on that. And, and in the process, of course, it's, uh, 
it's the goodies for the eye. The eye is delighted to go for these things, and in doing so, doesn't cross the bridge of connection. It, it just decides to use the practice as a way of, again, trying to get what it wants, or trying to keep away what it doesn't want. So, the, sometimes the senses uh, that I can't open up to this moment, I cannot uh, meditate, because uh, my knee hurts, there's something unpleasant, and I concentrate on that unpleasantness, no openness, yeah. or, or I have a cold, or, you know, this neighbor of, that we always have, yeah. Makes a lot of noise, or breathe, will breathe very heavily, or I'm sleepy. And all this, which is an opportunity to be present with, becomes, as we all know very well, becomes an excuse not to be present. I would meditate only if, and only if, and the list of only ifs keeps. Increasing. So always. And, and just as in the regular sittings, there's that difficulty of opening up to the experience, to the direct experience of whatever it is. Forgetting whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, just opening up to that. Here in a retreat like this, where the opening up is also towards the retreat, to the, the other people in the retreat, towards the children in the retreat. The same kind of mechanism can come into action. I would be, open, be able to really be open and enjoy this retreat if it wasn't so chaotic. If there weren't so many shoes up there that you, you know, cannot get through because our shoes thrown on the floor, or vice versa. This thing is so neatly arranged, I can't stand it. Oh, or whatever. And there's too much noise in the dining room. And, and all this is valuable. They are valuable observations. But what's important is to take a moment to see whether, in fact, these are not just the result of a reluctance to connect, a difficulty to connect, period, to connect inside and to connect In fact, in the practice, maybe the TV guide bit is not that much of pace. Because maybe it's not the 
the TV, that's the fabric of our lives, but the, our inner videos can become the fabric of our lives. What's very important in the practice, however, is that as we see all these resistance come up, as we see a difficulty in rooting ourselves into experience. We are aware of it. We don't just let it slide by and distract ourselves with something else. We inevitably are touched by this phenomenon, by the, the resistance becomes a, a visible contraction for ourselves, painfully. And side by side with that, we have inevitably enough opening, even though it may not feel like that at the moment sometimes, inevitably enough open to, opening to discover a deep longing to connect. Deep longing. So, things start happening. You notice the contradiction between this, this yearning to be one with, we can call the earth, which is also with everybody else. There's that yearning, and there is the, the recognition of the obstacles, the recognition of this bridge not being easily available. Now, just as I mentioned there, just going back for a moment to, to cultural aspect of things, just as I mentioned, our cultural uprootedness, it's important to acknowledge that there are also forms in our culture that indeed are inviting us to go the opposite. Yes? Would it be a Is it better that way? Closer. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, how about this? Is it better? Okay, I was just going by a drawing here. This is uh, 12 inches. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks very much, Sydney, for... Yes, absolutely. Cut me at the right moment, too, very <laughs> because I was just... Shifting gears a little bit for a moment, I wanted to shift gears again to to acknowledge that as um, uh, in our culture there there is also honouring of our of roots in, in so many ways, and of course, very importantly, honouring the family, honouring family, or honouring motherhood and fatherhood, and uh, and uh, <laughs> honouring and doing it, you know, just the. Uh, Extraordinary, the lovely, touching 
experience of seeing this uh, one and two year olds uh, walking around here. Yeah. And also the culture of being in nature and, and uh, even gardening, walking back there in the woods. No, we, we respect that. We also respect that. It, no, we, we cultivate those myths just like uh, those uh, traditions just as in the three stories that I told. In, in Latin America where I come from and uh, where some children here come from, there's um, a tradition that I find uh, very meaningful for me, which is an Indian tradition. And you see that done in, in the homes of, of most ordinary, um, not rich, not middle class people, and particularly um, those who live in houses with a dirt floor and adobe houses. Whenever they drink, and they sometimes they drink a little more than they ought to, but whenever they drink wine, which is the only thing that really counts, eh, they pour a few drops of wine to the ground to drink to honor Pachamama, which is Mother Earth. So you share the wine with Mother Earth. But uh, this may be just superficial, it may be just uh, ritual, and sometimes may not mean very much. What means very much is our ability in the practice to connect, to really connect, or to discover our disconnection and be fully uh, recognizing it, really recognizing it. Because things happen after that. It is that way that we can take root again. And of course, uh, the basic instructions talk about that. Connecting with the breath, breath, air, not very different from earth in a way, in that sense. Connecting with sensations in the body, with walking, contact with the earth, as Antius had experienced, giving him strength. Contact with the food as we digest. The, the body becomes a pathway to the earthiness of life, to the, to the tangible life. And so we learn to put aside this constant tendency to select the pleasurable and push away the, what we call unpleasant, to be numbed to that which is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. The tendency that fabricates the eye. And, and beginning 
beginning to say, to find where we belong in this undescribable world. So, I, I, I'm so hesitant to put all this in, in words, you know. I wrote down the piece of paper, the web of life, but, but I, I say the web of life and it becomes words. So, I'm not sure how to convey that directly, except by the very experience that you all have touched in the practice, which, which is a testimony to a connection that we have with life that goes well beyond what the mind can explain conceptually. The true fabric of life, not the TV fabric of life. And which is um, experienced by touching, by hearing, by seeing, by tasting, by smelling, and by, by allowing our heart to stay open. Buddha has put this very beautifully in uh, a sutra that he uh, dedicates to his son. It's an advice to Rahula, his son. And just feel a little bit. Rahula, he says, develop meditation that is like the earth. For when you develop meditation that is like the earth, arisen agreeable and disagreeable contacts will not invade your mind and remain. My translation would say, would not invade your mind and get stuck there. And he goes on. Just as people throw clean things and dirty things, excrement, urine, spittle, pus, and blood on the earth. And the earth is not horrified, humiliated, and disgusted because of that. So too, Rahula, develop meditation that is like the earth. For when we develop meditation, sorry, for when you develop meditation that is like the earth, a recent agreeable and disagreeable context will not invade your mind and remain. So, it's very clear, I think, in the greedy of practice. And I think it's also clear here in the, in the practice that we do, the, call it interpersonal practice, a practice that we do in, in relating to the rest of the retreat, in relating to this village, as it were, that we have created for the duration. And being, insofar as possible, also like the earth here, where, where we have expectations that are not fulfilled, we find we are disappointed, we are disillusioned, 
we are hurt, we are touched by love, by joy, and we allow all this to come in. And, and not to get a grip on us, but just to come and go, just like that. We are not, we allow it, we take it. But we, we hold it as well. Elsewhere, the Buddha says something similar. This time to his bhikkhus, to his monks. Bhikkhus, suppose a man came with a hoe and basket ice and said, I shall make this great earth to be without earth. You dig here and there, strew the soil here and there, spit here and there, and urinate here and there, saying, be without earth, be without earth. What do you think, Bikus? Could that man make this great earth to be without earth? No, venerable, venerable sir. Why is that? Because this great earth is deep and immense. It cannot possibly may be made to be without earth. And then he talks about practice and he says a little further down. We shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind similar to the earth, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Not just nice words, but actually a very, very useful strategy, opening up instead of closing and trying to separate the good from the bad and and the I like or I don't like. And, and, and seeing yourself, seeing the tendency that we all have, have because we grow up like that, seeing into those tendencies of us, and then discovering a way of being like the earth, so that we can accommodate all things and connect In closing, I'd like to share Don Pablo Neruda with you again. His poem in Spanish is called Aquí Vivimos. I'll just read a part of his poem. This is where we live. I'm grateful to the earth for having waited for me when sky and sea come together like two lips touching for that's no small thing, no? to have lived through one solitude to arrive at another and feel oneself many things and recover wholeness 
I love all the things there are and all the fires. Sorry. And of all fires, love is the only inexhaustible one. And that's why I go from life to life, from guitar to guitar. And I have no fear of light or of shade. And almost being earth myself, I spoon away at infinity. So no one can fail to find my doorless, numberless house there between dark stones, facing the flash of the violent salt, there we live, my woman and I. There we take root. Grant us help. Help us to be more of the earth each day. Help us to be more of the sacred form more of the swish of the wave. Let's see for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.